We are continuing our study through the Gospel of Luke. We looked last week at Luke 9.23, and I'm probably going to look a little bit more at Luke 9.23. It's one of those verses that is sufficiently rich and contains just such an amazing truth from God that looking at it for a little bit longer, I don't think it's going to hurt us at all. So Luke 9.23, Jesus says this. He was saying to his disciples, if you want to come after me, if you want to follow who I am, you must deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow me. The problem we have with that is that we love ourselves. I mean, who else are you going to love, right? Of course we love ourselves. What's interesting is as a society that we have decided to simply embrace the idea of loving ourselves rather than seeing this as some kind of a detriment and that perhaps we shouldn't be quite so selfish, we instead have decided that we are going to teach everyone to love themselves. I remember when my son, who is now in his mid-30s, when we decided we were going to send him off to the public school. So think about how long ago that was, quite a while, 30 years, give or take. We went to the orientation class, and we had no intention of what came from that. We sat there for well over an hour, maybe two, I don't recall, and they spent virtually the entire time with all of the incoming first graders and you know, the parents informing us that they were going to teach our child to love himself and that he was number one, and that everything he thought was just the greatest thing in the world, and that they were going to build up his self-esteem and make sure that he really thought highly of himself. And they spent the last ten minutes going, oh, and by the way, we might even get around to teaching him how to read and write and do arithmetic, maybe, you know, depending on whether they actually have figured out how to love themselves first. Hmm. We say things like, well, you can't really learn to love others until you learn to love yourself. Uh, you know, here's an interesting thing. When we actually turn to what the scriptures say, and we turn uh, 2 Timothy 3, Paul is going to talk about what's going to happen in the last days. He says in the last days, things are going to get really bad. As the world goes on, things get worse and worse. It's not going to get better and better. It's going to get worse and worse. And at the last days, he gives this list. Now, I'll read the whole list, but just pay attention here. He's got this long list of evils that are going to begin to proceed. We're going to see them increase more and more. 2 Timothy 3.1, realize this, in the last days, difficult times will come. Why? Because men will become this list of sins. And listen to what's the first thing on the list. Men will be lovers of self. That's the first item on the list. Lovers of money. That sounds familiar. Boastful. Arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. When you live in a society characterized by these things, and you know, you pretty much only got to open up a newspaper or... Anywhere you get your news and look, we have all of these things in abundance in our particular society. 
part of the reason for that may be the orientation we got 30 years ago because that is where we're at as a society. We have decided to take all of our little young folks and tell them all that they should all love themselves. When we actually turn to the scriptures, what it says is that loving yourself is a problem, not an asset. We love ourselves way too much. That's the problem. We don't have to learn how to love ourselves. What we need to do is learn how to love our neighbor like we love ourselves. We already love ourselves. We already think a little too highly of ourselves. And what we have to be careful of, though, is we like this truth because we naturally like ourselves. So the idea of loving yourself just kind of fits right into us. And if we're not careful, if we don't think hard about it, when it comes time to present the message of the gospel, for instance, we may merge the great message of the gospel with a good dose of self-love. For instance, are you lonely? Well, Jesus will be your friend. Now, the fact is, once you understand the gospel and you come to Jesus, he will, in fact, be your friend. But to try to pull people in as if somehow the gospel is all about Jesus being your friend. Are you depressed? Jesus will make you happy. There is great joy in understanding the gospel. There is great joy in our relationship with God. Uh, But we have to be careful about appealing to people. Are you unfulfilled? Are you looking for something meaning in life? Something bigger than yourself? Well, Jesus will give you all that. Now... Yes, Jesus will give you all that, and he will bring joy into your life. And if you're lonely, there is great friendship. You are never alone with God. Those things are all true, but the gospel is not the message that Jesus is the ultimate genie who is just here to fulfill all of your wishes. The gospel is not the message that God is here to meet all your needs and to take care of whatever your problems are. Uh, The gospel is not a message that appeals to our sinfulness. The gospel is the message of repentance. This is what Jesus said to his disciples in Luke 24. And, and, you know, one of these days we might actually get to Luke 24. I I don't know. We've kind of been in nine for a while. But we are moving forward. We are, really. We might get to Luke 24, and when we do, we'll spend more time on this verse. But right now, Jesus says to his disciples, when you go, preach. Here's the subject. Repent. Repentance for forgiveness of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. The gospel is the message of repentance. We need to repent. As the disciples of Christ, what we need to do is deny ourselves. We need to die to ourselves. This is the exact opposite of love yourself. Instead of loving yourself, you need to die to yourself. I knew a, I knew a person who, uh, over the years of ministry, I, this particular person, they, had, uh, they claimed to be a Christian. They, they claimed that, that they loved God and, and that they were a believer, but they had acted in a way that was clearly and obviously inappropriate. They, they had acted in a bad way towards a particular person. And it was obvious to everyone around them. And 
they were lovingly and graciously and kindly implored to please do their best to make the situation right. And what you're going to have to do to make the situation right is you're going to have to admit that what you did was wrong and ask their forgiveness. And they replied, for me to do that, I would have to die inside. Amen. You know what I mean? It's like, yes, okay, great. I'm glad to see that, we have a, you know, that we've explained this properly, you know, that, that you've really got the right picture here. Yes, that is exactly how it is. And the gospel is exactly like that. If we're going to understand the gospel, the gospel is not this self-fulfilled message. The gospel is the idea that we need to deny ourselves. We need to look at ourselves and go, who in the world am I? I am a sinner before God. All, think about everybody in the Bible who actually meets God. From Job to Isaiah to Jeremiah, Peter, Paul, everybody who, who actually has a meeting with God and comes into the presence of God, they fall apart. Isaiah says, woe unto me, I, I am coming apart at the seams because I have seen God. People fall on their faces. People, Peter, when Jesus says, cast the net on the other side, you'll catch all these fish. Immediately upon that happening, Peter is hit with the realization that this is God in the flesh standing in front of me. He's like, oh Lord, please go away. I am a sinful person. I am not worthy to even be in your presence. We think that, oh, well, you know, when I die and stand before God, I'm going to give God a thing or two. Oh, oh, no, no, we won't. We will stand before God and we will stand in the presence of this holy, omnipotent being and it will be terrifying. We don't need to build ourselves up. This is not a matter of, well, I'm such a good person. Spurgeon, in his wonderful flair for the English language, said this, you can't slander human nature. It's not possible. No matter how bad you think it is, it's worse. And, and, and that, that is the truth. The heart is desperately wicked. We need to realize that when we try to be more ourselves, um, that is leading us directly away from God. Jesus got up and said this, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It's not until we recognize that we are a sinner that we finally are ready to come to God. When we recognize that our hearts are deceitful, that our hearts are wicked, that, that our hearts lead us in the wrong direction. If we just do what comes naturally to us, we're going to put our own interests first. We're going to put what works out best for us first. We're going to think about ourselves first. You have to be very careful about following our heart. Despite what Disney says, by the way. You have to be careful. Disney has who knows how many movies that, you know, when it's all, oh, what you need to do is follow your heart. Really? Are you sure about that? When we actually look at the scriptures, here's, here's what it says. Proverbs 28, 26. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. Hmm. He who walks wisely will be delivered. Ecclesiastes 9, 3. There is an evil in all that is done under the sun. There is one fate for all men. Furthermore, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. 
and insanity is in their hearts throughout their lives. Afterwards, they die. Ecclesiastes, you've got to kind of read the whole book to get the... But that's the point. It's like, not only are we full of sin, but then we all do the wrong thing, and, well, when it's all done, you just, you die. Jesus says to his disciples, don't you understand? Because they were, they were, the Pharisees said, what are you doing eating with unwashed hands? Your hands aren't clean. And so because you're not doing the religious observances, you're not, you're not keeping the rituals, you're not doing the ceremonial things, therefore you're unclean. And Jesus is like, don't you understand everything that goes into your mouth? I mean, it, it simply goes into your stomach and then, and then passes through you. It's the things that come out of your mouth that are the problem. It's from the heart. These are the things that defile the man. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murderers, adulteries, fornications, theft, false witness, slanderer. These are the things which defile the man, not eating with unwashed hands. When we follow our heart, oh, trust in the Lord with all your heart, but don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and then he will make your path straight. Watch over your heart with all diligence because from it flows the spring of life. Listen, my son, and be wise and direct your heart in the way. Don't listen to your heart. Talk to your heart. Tell your heart the word of God. Tell your heart to do the right thing. It's not a matter of just sitting around listening to our heart and doing whatever it says. Can you imagine? Imagine now, really, just for a moment. That you follow your heart at work. Yeah. So come Monday morning, what do you do? We sleep till noon because that's what your heart says. Your heart's like, I ain't getting up. Man, we are not getting out of this bed. Let, forget the alarm. Let's just sleep. That's what my heart says. And you come into work and, you know, whatever clothes it is you're supposed to, I don't feel like wearing that. I'm just jeans and T-shirt. That's going to do it. And uh, you want me to what? I don't feel like doing that. Now, I'm following my heart today. Thank you. I'm just going to. I don't know what, you know, whatever it is. You just sit around and read a magazine or something. That, that, I'm just going to follow my heart. Yeah, and, you know, you can follow your heart at home, and you can, you know, get hungry following your heart, and, you know, life is going to fall apart pretty quick following your heart. You need to go to work, and you need to do what you need to do. I mean, that's why they hired you. They hired you to actually do things that you may or may not want to do. And you don't get to just say, well, yeah, I know, but my heart led me to uh, not do my job. No. You can't follow your heart. You have to do what needs to be done. How many people do you know who have strayed from their marital vows? They got up there in front of all friends and family and everybody and said, till death us do part. Or, well, I don't know, until someone at work catches my eye and, and, uh, and then I have to follow my heart. I'm just following my heart. Yeah, that's great. There's your spouse, emotional wreck, and your kids. and Yeah, but you were following your heart, right? That was all good. Yeah. No, it's not good. We can't follow our hearts. And we're not going to get to stand before God and say, well, I was, I was just following my heart. God has made it clear to us. Selfishness and, and promoting ourselves is not Good. If you want to follow Jesus, you have to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him. Now, you may take that thought and go, well, okay, okay, so we'll, we'll take that and we'll buy the new lie that the devil's got, which is what? Look at the people in the New Testament who most loved themselves. Who are the people in the New Testament that most loved themselves? 
the Pharisees. They really thought highly of themselves. They, they were so happy with themselves. They, the, the Pharisee gets up and prays, Oh, Lord, I thank you that I am not like other men, like this publican over here. Why, I do this and I do that and I, and I, I do all of these great things because I'm such a great guy. That's what he actually says. And so I'm sure that if you talk to the Pharisee, he'd say, oh, yes, yes. I, by fulfilling all the laws of Moses here, I'm denying myself and I'm, and I'm doing all of my religious duties. I, I've got all this long list of actions that I'm going to do that are going to please God. I'm going to do all these things and then God is going to have to be happy with me because, well, after all, it's me. I did these things. I mean, surely God would be okay with that, right? What does Jesus actually tell them? Who does, he, who does he give his absolute harshest words for? These people who are nothing but religious hypocrites. They were, he's like, okay, on the outside, yeah, you look great. Sure, there's no doubt. You know, you, you kind of do all the outward stuff that you're supposed to do, but inwardly, you haven't transformed at all. Inwardly, you are ravenous wolves. You are still just as selfish. You still don't care about your neighbor. You still don't care about anyone who can't do something for you. And even like your own parents, you proceed to dedicate everything you've got to God. And so when your parents are destitute, you go, well, you know, I'd like to do something for you, but I can't. Everything I have, I gave to God. And uh, of course, you're still living in your house and you're still spending all your money and you're still living just fine. But your parents, well, they're destitute and that's their tough luck because you've dedicated everything to God. Really? These people were hypocritical in their self-righteousness. They're elevating themselves. Their love of themselves, instead of drawing them to God, completely drew them away from God. And by relying on their good works, all they ended up with was unrighteousness. This love of themselves and the love of their ability to do what they thought were good works. And, And here's the other problem with good works. How much is enough? When do you know? You're like, well, okay, here's how you get to heaven. God takes your good works over here and your bad works over here, and he, you know, and he puts them in the balance, and, and God knows, you know. God, God actually knows. He'll, he'll, uh, it, it'll work out, you know, because God knows where your heart is. Uh, yeah, God does know where your heart is. And if you've been paying attention at all, you realize that God knowing where your heart is is like not going to be, that's not going to be good. That's going to very much go on the sinful side of things. Because where our heart is, is our own selfishness. That's where our heart is. So if you're counting on somehow your good works getting you to heaven, even the Pharisees, when it came time, The problem, the curse of the law, the curse of the Old Testament, the curse of of the Mosaic law was no matter how many sacrifices you gave, you know what? You had to give another one. They never ended. They were never ending. So how much is enough? And how do you know when enough is enough? We actually who hold to the gospel, as the scriptures plainly teach it, can be assured that we are going to heaven. I had someone ask me the other day, do you think people in other religions are as sure that they're going to heaven as we are? I said, no, I don't think they are. And there's a reason. If you are trying to work your way to heaven, you can't ever be completely sure. It's, if you're completely sure, then you have a pride problem. Because you're sure that you're good enough to get into heaven. And the minute you think you're good enough to get into heaven, I mean, it doesn't require a whole lot of thinking to realize that's probably not a good thought. And um, 
So I'm just going to do my best and leave it up to God. I have news for you. That is the road to hell. That is not the road to heaven. That is not going to work. And it's not going to work for a specific reason. The actual gospel is that God sent his own son to die for sinners. As soon as we realize that and go, oh, wait a minute. I am a sinner. Okay. Now we're talking about having a good relationship with God. The minute you think you can work your way to heaven and just look at the Pharisees to see this, the minute you think, well, I can be a good enough person to get into heaven, well, what's good enough? The only place to look is at each other. We start looking at one another and we say, well, I'm clearly better than that person. I'm clearly better than that person. You know, it's, it's like the old joke, right? Remember, remember the old joke where the two hikers, you know, and the bear, and they see the bear and he's, you know, he's a little ways off, but he's, he's heading towards them. And one hiker drops down and starts furiously ripping his boots off. And the other guy looks at him and says, what are you, what are you doing? You can't outrun a bear. Looks at him and says, I don't have to outrun the bear. Don't worry, it'll occur to you. Either that or you've heard it so many times you don't think it's funny anymore. That is like working your way to heaven. You're like, all i got to do is beat the people around me. Uh, No, no, actually, that's not the standard. You don't have to just be more righteous than the people around you. You actually have to be perfect. Only perfect people go to heaven. That's it. Is anybody perfect? No. So how does anybody get to heaven? Ah, well, that's... The whole thing, right? Jesus actually did lead a perfect life. And he's perfectly willing to give us his perfection. All we have to do is admit we need it. We have to come to Jesus and say, I am a sinner. I need the righteousness that comes from Christ. I cannot save myself. In fact, all of my good works... Here's the problem with all of our good works. If we're counting on all of our good works, first of all, we're discounting the actual sacrifice that Christ made. Well, Jesus died for other people. He didn't have to die for me. I I don't need Jesus dying for me. Really? Okay, so you want to stand before God, and you want to actually try to make the case that your life is so good that you're better than Jesus. You you really want to... Take a go at that? That's not going to go well. What we need to do is come to God and say, I cannot believe you sent your son on my behalf. What are you thinking? You've got to be kidding me. Jesus was willing to leave heaven to come down here and to lead a sinless life and to be hated and to be, and, and at the end of his life, after spending his whole adult life completely misunderstood, Oh, everybody wanted to see the miracles. People wanted to get fed. Everybody wanted to see the show, but there's really no repentance. Hardly anybody in the place actually repents. And then at the end, they put on the sham trial by people who just hate him because he threatened them. He told them they were a bunch of religious hypocrites and they didn't like that. So they arrest him in the middle of the night, put him on trial in the middle of the night, drag him over to the Roman authorities, lie about who he is, The Roman authorities are like, look, this guy has not done anything to violate our laws. He is no threat to Rome. If you don't crucify him, we're going to turn you into Caesar. Uh, Okay, 
Huh? All right, all right. So they, and what, what crime was Jesus guilty of? Well, you being a man, make yourself to be God. Ever quite occur to you that maybe that's because he's actually God? Apparently not. So Jesus, knowing all this, by the way, he knew all this before he ever left heaven. This is why he came. This is what the gospel is all about. So when he looks at his disciples, he's like, look, if you want to follow me, you've got to, with your eyes wide open, recognize that it's not all about this world. It's not all about what you can get in this world. It's about following Jesus, denying yourself, taking up your cross every day and following Jesus. He goes on and says in verse 24, whoever wishes to save his life is going to lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. He's looking at his disciples and us and informing us that the moment may come down the road where, and for them very shortly, where you're going to be put in a position where you have to choose whether you're going to serve God or deny God. And if you choose to serve God, there are going to be significant consequences up to and including the very loss of your life. Are you willing to lose your life? Or are you going to, at that moment, go, well, if we just lie low, if we just don't actually speak too openly about the actual issues of the day, if we don't, if we don't say anything controversial, you know, like, oh, I don't know, men are actually men and women are actually women, you know, controversial things like that. If we don't say any of that stuff openly, then maybe we can just slide under the radar and no one will know. You, you think that's going to work? You, th- you think that's, that's not going to work? We must speak truth. Jesus states it to them very, very clearly that if you, if you think saving your life by denying Jesus or by somehow not speaking the truth is going to work, it's not. If you try to save your life, you'll lose it. You will simply make it clear that you don't really believe the gospel. You don't really believe Jesus is who he says he is. And you will discover that instead of saving your life, you will lose it. But if you will simply lose your life, if you will simply say, you know what, this world has got nothing. There's just nothing in this world that is worth having me deny Jesus. what, What has the world got? In fact, Jesus will go on and say this exact thing. This is the next verse. What is it if a man profited, if he gains the whole world? loses his own soul. What, what are you going to gain? This is, this is a hypothetical. Imagine, imagine that as Satan showed up and spoke to Jesus and said, here are all the kingdoms of the world which are mine to give to whomever I will. And if you will simply bow down and worship me, I'll give them to you. Imagine that Satan offered that to you. You can have it. You can have it all. You can have everything this world has. Go ahead. Tell me exactly which lust of the flesh is willing to spend eternity under the wrath of God over. Which, which desire of the eyes do you want to have that you're willing to spend eternity in hell just so you can have that desire of your eyes? Or what, what ego fulfillment do you actually need? The pride of life. What, what ego do you need to have satisfied that you'd actually be willing to turn away from God? I've read an interesting quote this last week. Jim Carrey, uh, you know, the the comic, right? The comedian, Jim Carrey, he, he said this. I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see it's not the answer. 
Now, I don't know what he thought was the answer. It didn't go on and state what it was he, he thought the answer was. But I'll tell you what the Bible says the answer is. Paul, at the end of his last missionary journey, he says this in Acts 20. Now, behold, I am bound by the Spirit and I'm on my way to Jerusalem. And I don't know exactly what's going to happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit has solemnly testified to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course. And the ministry, which I have received from the Lord Jesus, to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. This is what it is to be a Christian. This is a guy who has internalized what it is to deny himself. To take up his cross every day and to follow Christ. I count my life as as no account. The story is told of a young seminary student who got on an airplane. And he managed somehow to find himself seated next to one of the greatest preachers of his day. And he recognized the guy, and, he, and he's sitting, and he's talking to him, and he, and he says to this guy, you know, I would give my life to be able to preach like you. To which the old guy said, well, that's good, because that's what it's going to take. That's what it takes. If we want to be true, authentic, genuine Christian people who actually have an influence on the world and an ability to change our lives and the lives of others, you need to deny yourself. You need to give up. You need to look at life and say, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. I'm going to take up my cross and follow Christ as opposed to just doing whatever my self-love, self-centered, whatever, whatever it is that my heart is leading me to do. I'm going to pray that God change my heart to thirst after him, to desire to please God with all of my actions. There was a guy in the 1950s. He had gone off to Bible college. He got his pilot's license and was flying in Ecuador as a missionary pilot. There were groups of missionaries. They had sent a a group of people down there. Ecuador, um, there are still jungles in Ecuador. There were jungles in Ecuador at the time. And this guy decided that he was going to reach an unreached people group with the gospel. He was going to go to them. He was going to declare to them the truth. Now, you know, it's easy to kind of look at people in the past and go, well, you know, they're missionaries, right? Uh, This is just a guy. He's early 30s, got a wife, he's got kids. He's heading off into the jungle. What are you doing heading off into the jungle? This this could be dangerous, you know. He's... You're heading out talking to people who have perhaps never seen a white person. And you're going to just go out there and make contact with them. And the jungle's a dangerous place, you know. Yeah, he knew. It's not like he didn't know. He knew. And he went to a particular people group. And he and five other missionaries had several interactions with them. And they seemed to be going good. And then one day... They met with a group of folks, and we don't know exactly how many, but that group was hostile. And they proceeded to kill him and the four guys with him. All five of them died. 
Nate Saint, by the way, was his name. And the book is Gates of Splendor, Through Gates of Splendor. Uh, I think they made a movie, even. What's interesting is that his sister, after they kind of got over the, all of that, she went back to the same tribe and began to continue the work that her brother had died for and continued to preach the gospel to this group of people. And not only were they listening, they were receptive. And before you knew it, many of the people in that tribe got saved, including the very guy who killed her brother. Nate Saint had children. One of his sons, because his aunt and other family members were ministering to this particular tribe, he went to visit them and ended up spending a lot of time with the tribe. And when it came time for him to get baptized, he got baptized by the guy that killed his father. For years, he traveled around the world with the guy who killed his father, preaching the gospel. That's what the gospel does. The gospel transforms. You die to yourself. Nate Saint, when it came time for him to go, and they said, what are you doing? What are you thinking? What will this do to your kids and your wife? He said to them, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He knew exactly what he was doing when he went. And he did it anyway. He chose. And the amazing grace of God. Can you imagine his own son ended up traveling around the world with the very man who killed his dad? Because he got saved and begged forgiveness and restitution. What an amazing story of the grace of God. That's what the gospel does. That's what happens when you truly understand and desire to die to yourself. Stop trying to do good works to please God and start doing good works because God has forgiven us. It's a totally different thing. Totally different thing. And that's the wonder of the gospel. The wonder of the gospel is that we come to God as sinners And he forgives us. Come to God self-righteous, the door is closed. Come to God in need of a savior, he's provided that. That's the wonder of the gospel. It's, It's totally opposite of what we think it is. And of course, once you believe, now you want to do right. So, if you want to follow Jesus, you have to deny yourself. You have to lose your life, and really, what does this world actually have to offer? Really? If you had the whole world, would you actually exchange that for your eternal soul? Really? If you could somehow possibly have it all, but you had to spend eternity in hell, would you make that exchange? That would not be a wise thing to do. This world has nothing that should keep us from God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your amazing grace, for your willingness to send your son to save sinners. 
your son willing to come and to die in our place for our sin. Not when we were good people, not, not when we were righteous people, but when we were sinners. That's when your love is truly demonstrated for us. May each of us understand the depth of our own selfishness. May each of us come to you and thank you for the death of your son. We pray in his precious name. Amen.